Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Maurice. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I have the awesome opportunity of being the, one of the teaching pastors as well as overseeing a lot of things um, as it relates to young adults. Uh, before we get started today, um, I want to shout out people that are in the room, but also people that are watching online. Um, I want to do this real briefly because I was in a group chat just this weekend, and um, a lot of my homeboys back home, I said, listen, I'm going to be preaching this week. You guys got to tune in. So um, not only for you all, but for everybody that's watching at home, I hope I don't miss any. It's a large group text. I'm going to call them by their nicknames. Uh, Rody, Pud, don't ask any questions, um, Q, Loon, T-Man, Check, Drez, and I think that might be it. Bob, don't forget Bob is in there as well. Um, shout out to all of you. Now, let's be clear. I'm saying that because that group chat needs Jesus. You hear me? That group chat needs Jesus. And so I hope that they're watching and being faithful friends. Um, as we get started on today, I was excited about what we're getting into, um, but even before I get started, I have to make mention of just a few things, two things, two major things. Number one, I'm from LA, so I'm going for LA this today, all right, sorry. Um, hey, Von Miller, get another ring, right? I thought you guys would join me on that. <laughs> Sounds good, right? Um, and number two, also, we, uh, Chris had mentioned it just a little bit before, but also uh, Black History Month, uh, this time of celebrating and educating. We're taking those two, um, those two words and we're elevating it around Black History Month. Um, and let me just be very clear around that, because uh, as a gospel-centered community, we actually don't see this as some uh, cheap attempt at wokeness. We celebrate this month because we recognize that we see it as an opportunity as it relates to education and celebration and seeing that as a vehicle to get proximate to the black community. There's education that we have lacked, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and we see this month as an amazing chance to lean a little bit closer. So Aisha and I are gonna be doing that because we love that, and uh, if you didn't know, you have black pastors. And uh, we love celebrating this month. I'm gonna be wearing all sorts of clothing, supporting black businesses, amen. But I do want it to be very clear about that. Because how can we answer the gospel-centered call of loving our neighbor as ourself if we do not know our neighbor? Martin Luther King Jr., Pastor Martin Luther King Jr., let us never forget that title, once said that uh, we hate each other, we fear one another because we hate one another, and we hate one another because we don't know one another. So I believe this is a way of getting to know a community, and we're excited about that. So we celebrate that this month. We hope that you would lean into that as well. Listen, I have a lot of ground to cover. I don't know if they started my clock or not, but that's on them if I go too long, okay? Um, I got a lot of ground to cover, and I'm excited about today's topic. Here's where I want to start off. I want to start off with a story, and I'm going to be honest. This is a this is a hard story to tell. It's a tragic story between my relationship with me and my parents. I remember like it was yesterday, I was about 21 years old at the time, and I got off work. I remember I was sitting in my room for whatever reason, I don't know if I was playing video games or whatever, but I'm sitting in my room and my mother walks into the room and she has a serious look on her face. And she's communicating in a way where the tone of her voice is communicating in a way that this is a serious moment and that something is changing. She looks at me in my eyes and says, Maurice, your father and I can't do this anymore. And at this point, my stomach is starting to drop into my body. She says, Maurice, your father and I can't do this anymore. She hands me two envelopes. And she says, from this day forward, we're no longer paying your credit card bill and your phone bill. <laughs> and it was at this moment, 
I don't know a trust fund baby by the long side, but I think I got as close as possible to how it feels when people are rich and that kid gets cut off, you know what I mean? With those, those movies that you see and the kid throws a tantrum. That's how I felt. I felt in that moment like, man, this, this can't be happening to me. Because for 21 long years, I have grown dependent on my parents. Dependent, that word is what I want you to keep in your mind as we keep going further in our conversation today. See, for 21 years, I'd grown dependent on my parents as it relates to just every stage of life. When I would fall down and hurt my knee and start bleeding, they knew what to do and put a Band-Aid on it. To being one that got a little bit older and got into high school and struggling with grades, they were there to be a listening ear. I never had to worry about food on the table or clothes on my back or shelter and a home to live in. They were always there and I was dependent on them for that. They were there and I was dependent on them when I was in high school and I went through the breakup with the girlfriends that I had and they were there to hear me out and they became a shoulder to cry on, whether that was in high school or college. They were there and I was able to depend on them to help me out with that down payment for that first car and second car and third car. <laughs> Come on, I see parents being really seen in this moment. You feel really seen right now. 30 years old, and I don't know if it stopped, so just let you know, throw that out there as well. But they were there, and I was able to depend on them. I remember when at the beginning of the start of school year, we depended on our parents to go school shopping. That was just one of those small things that we knew would happen. In my family, it was a little bit different, though, because we would go school shopping about a month and a half in advance because we were a family that loved this benefit called layaway. Ooh, I just lost about two-thirds of the room. <laughs> Depending on your age or your socioeconomic status, you don't know what I'm talking about. Here it is. We would go to Kmart, rest in peace, for our school shopping, and every kid got a cart, and we would go shopping, and every kid, and we're throwing in the backpack that we want, we're throwing in the shoes that we want. We thinking it's Christmas, you hear me? And we're going down, and then everybody got finished, and then we would go to the counter. Now, looking back, this should have been like one of those reminders for me, because the counter for layaway was deep in the back. This is where everybody checked out. And so we would go to that counter, and we would throw everything up on that counter, and then the sum total would come down to about a couple several uh, hundred dollars, uh, several hundred dollars at that moment. And then my dad would pull out his wallet and hand the dude a $10 bill. Because layaway meant you just were have, holding the clothes for me until the next payment, then I'll come back and get a little bit more, then come back a little bit more. The point I'm trying to make is that for 21 long years and even further, I've grown dependent on my parents. And today, I wanna talk about what dependency looks like in our relationship with Jesus. Because not too much is different. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, dependency matters. And I wonder how much of us are fighting for control in our own lives and not giving up total dependency upon Jesus. When we think about dependency, I thought about a few things. See, there's a small recap that I want to give. At the top of this year, we actually had a moment where we gave a little foundational language. We want to be a community that is relying on the Holy Spirit, aka depending totally on the Holy Spirit. That's how we started our year. That was my first talk that I gave. The point that I made in that first talk was fully depending on Jesus does not mean you are known for your perfection, but rather known 
by your pursuit. I talked about how much your pursuit of Jesus matters and how we're being a community that depends on Jesus in that way. And today, as we lean into this topic, we are actually, for the month of February, if you don't know, we're talking about the real life of Jesus, where we're not only highlighting the miracle in his life, the miracles that he does. We're not only highlighting the high moments, but we're highlighting the moments where things get real. Last week, Bill, our lead pastor, talked about depletion. And today, I don't want to just talk too much about Jesus' divinity. I want to talk about Jesus' dependency. We're all familiar with the topic of dependency, whether it's at a surface level or a deep level. You have a dependency when it comes to your job. You are dependent that they're going to pay you when they say they're going to pay you. That's a dependency. You're dependent on them as it relates to the work culture and it being a space that is safe and fair. You're dependent on if you're a person who's married in the room. When it comes to your spouse, you, you, you don't get away from being married and not having a, depend, a dependency sort of relationship, depending on them to meet certain expectations or needs that you may have. When it comes to church, some of you are in this room, and whether you know it or not, there's a dependency that you have, a trust to put in a church to steward the spiritual leadership in a healthy way. We are all people who navigate the topic of dependency on a daily basis. And isn't it true that at the core of dependency, there's two words that I want to highlight. This isn't an exhaustive list by any means, but there's two words that I want to highlight when it comes to dependency. And those words are humility and vulnerability. Humility and vulnerability. If you think about dependency in the deepest way, you'll recognize that these two things are the essentials that there must have some sort of humility if I'm going to depend on you. And I wonder, I have to ask the question, do we live vulnerable and humble before God? See, dependency is not just in our relationships with one another, but when we wake up in the morning and our feet hit the ground, before God, are we living in a place of humility and vulnerability? Humility. Philippians 2 is an amazing passage. I will encourage you to read that at some point in time during this week. Amazing passage that speaks of Jesus' humility. There's this word of kenosis. I hope I'm saying that right. But it's this idea of Jesus pouring himself out. The scriptures in Philippians 2 says Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. He emptied himself out. He lived in an example for you and I. And so do we humble ourselves before God. How much are you emptied before God? Because we don't just empty ourselves out for the sake of emptying ourselves out. We empty ourselves out so that God could pour himself in. And some of us are walking around in this room and even outside of this room and even online, wherever you may be, so full of ourselves, pun intended, that Jesus can't pour into you. The fruit of the Spirit can't come alive because he can't pour himself. The Spirit can't come alive within you. The love, joy, patience, humility, long-suffering, all of these things. Because sometimes we get so caught up with ourselves. Philippians 3.5 is one that I'll always, excuse me, Proverbs 3.5 is one that I'll always quote 
because I really love it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not, depend not, if I could insert, on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him. Dependency. As we think about this, as adults, this can become very hard because there becomes a paradox of dependency, if we're being honest. Like in our natural world, think about it, right? As adults, it can be hard for us to wrap our mind around it because we feel more successful the more we don't have to rely on someone. I got my own car. I got my own house. I pay my own bills. I do my own thing. We independence. If you throw back to about 2000, you know, 2006, I-N-D-E-P, it's a famous song, independent. We pride ourselves on being independent, right? If we're good parents, we are raising our children up to be independent, that they don't have to feed on you all the time. They don't have to ask you all the questions all the time. They don't have to keep coming to you. A good parent thinks through the lens of I'm raising this person to become independent. We pride ourselves on these things. I own my own business. We do all of these things because we recognize that a fully capable human being is one that can be independent. But what about in our relationship with Jesus. See, in God's system, there's a change. It's the exact opposite. God's whole MO is to get his children less dependent on their stuff, money, marriage, resources, and more dependent on him. It's a paradox that if you're going to follow me, it's actually leaving the dependency of all the things around you and depending totally on me. So in one sense, we're successful and we pat ourselves on the back because we have raised our children or raised ourselves, depending on your situation, to become fully independent. And yet Jesus is saying, actually, the call that I'm giving every person who wants to follow me is to lay down your life to become totally dependent on me. It's pretty weird, isn't it, that as a grown adult, God is calling us to become childlike. That the more mature you are in Christ, the more childlike you are in him. The more you depend on him for everything that you're looking for. The more you depend on him to be the guide for your life, the more you depend on him to be the one who directs your marriage and your relationships and your finances, the more you become mature in Christ, the more childlike you have to become. And this is hard because in our world, it's all about independence and getting all of our own things. And one of the greatest threats to becoming dependent on Jesus is our success. I got a little bit more money. I got a little bit more status. And then you become your own God. Or the people that you depend on around you become your own God. Here's the kicker. Here's the spoiler alert. I hope I don't offend you, but a little bit I hope I do. You make a crappy God. <laughs> I'm going to just go ahead and own that. And if you're real with yourself, you know you make a crappy God. So do your friends. So does your money. So does your boss. So does your spouse, so do your parents, so do your children. And the moment that we try to put someone in a place that they were never created to be in is when we start to go down the road of failed expectations. 
problems more and more. We get to a place where I understand the sentiment, but if we become so enmeshed in recognizing and depending on people or things that are around us, we never truly get to the core of who we are in Jesus Christ. We say statements, and once again, I want to be sensitive here. I recognize the sentiment that when my kids left the house and it was just me, I didn't know who I was anymore. I became so entangled in my job that when I lost that job, I lost my identity. These are true statements, and yet it exposes a little bit of where we have let our dependency go. You don't make a good God, and neither do the things around you. And God uses moments like these so that you can grow dependent on him. And this is where we find ourselves in Scripture on this morning. I'm going to be reading it in your hearing. I do not have it up front, so I just want to throw that out to you right now. Because the truth of the matter is, the children of Israel is where I want to place our time together. And I think it's important for us to look at examples in Scripture of how God created a community of dependency. What did that look like? How did that go about? Some of you have heard about the children of Israel. They've been enslaved for 400 long years, enslaved people, and now they have exited, and now there's, but you've got to look at the context here. There's, they've been enslaved for 400 years by this pharaoh, this king, this oppressor. They leave, and now this God who they cannot see says, I want to be your king. These people are at their most vulnerable moment in a wilderness experience and sometimes we give them little flack because they complained and they grumbled and they said, we want to just go back to the place that we were in. And yes, Egypt was slavery, but we'd rather go back because the context of what they're in, they've been in that situation for 400 years and they're at their most vulnerable place. And God does something pretty special. I want to read it in your hearing. This is Exodus 13, verse 21. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of them and behind them. It's this imagery here that the writer is showing us that as they're leaving this place, they said, all right, we're going to leave. We don't want to be in this place no more. We're enslaved people, and they start the journey. But they didn't bargain for recognizing that it's going to be very dark moments that they need light. And there's going to be moments where they need a cloud. And God becomes that for them. That as they leave this place, it's one way of God showing who he is in their life, that when you need me to be a pillar of fire, I can be that. When you need me to be a cloud, I can be that. I want to read a little bit further, Exodus 16, and then we're going to extract what is exactly happening. It says these words in Exodus 16, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather 
on those days. God says, I will bring down bread from heaven. And here's the thing. He says, and I want you to only gather enough for that day. Now, this is very important that we see God being a pillar of fire and a cloud. And then they get to a point where it's like, well, we're out in this wilderness and we need food. So everything that they didn't bargain for, everything that they didn't think through, all of the itinerary, everything else, God says, I'll step in and I'll be that. And so he provides bread for them each and every day. But the kicker is, he says, but you can only gather enough for that day. Maurice, what are you trying to get at? God shows us that in the wilderness experience, he is the one who becomes the very thing that we need. For 40 years, they had to stay in the wilderness. I bring this up because I think sometimes we name our wilderness experience in the wrong way. Yes, it's hardship. Yes, it's tough. But do we ever consider to ourselves, this is probably God also growing my dependency on him? See, for 40 years, they complained and they grumbled and they went through all of these different things. But the Bible tells us that it was preparation for them to enter into the promised land. And some of us want the promise so bad that going through the place of cultivating dependency is a place that we don't want to go to. When it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our situations, we would rather just quickly get to the promised land. And God is saying, slow down because it's in the wilderness experience that you know who I am. It's in the wilderness experience that I can begin to cultivate your dependency on me. Because if you get the promise too soon, you'll begin to think that the promise is your God. You'll begin to think that the miracle is your God, that the car or the spouse or the child. And God is saying, I want to grow a community so dependent on me. And if community that's dependent on Jesus is one that is marked by their humility and vulnerability. When we look at the children of Israel, they aren't the only ones who went through this experience. Jesus had a wilderness experience. Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Now, isn't that odd? The wilderness, the place where isolation, and it can feel lonely, the place of hardship, the place where it comes down to it's just you and God. And Jesus himself had to be led to this place because even Jesus had to cultivate a dependency between him and God. Jesus lives a life for us to show that even he had to be one that was dependent on a relationship outside of himself. There's a story that I came across about the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty, and uh, one of the things that I came across in this story of the Statue of Liberty is that uh, there was one time the entire state of New York, there was a power outage and there was no lights. I forget exactly why. It was this whole dark. There was a power outage. Dark everywhere in New York, but they would look out on the water and the Statue of Liberty was standing tall and bright. The light was still on for the Statue of Liberty. 
People complained about why that was, but they boiled down to it and they started to unpack all of the reasons why. And they got to this place of recognizing that there was a power outage in the city of New York, but the power source that the Statue of Liberty was connected to was in Pennsylvania. So I'm in New York, but my source is in Pennsylvania. I'm gonna say it one more time, I hope you catch it. I'm in New York, but my power source is in Pennsylvania. I'm gonna talk to this side over here. <laughs> Make it a little more plain for you. I'm in Broomfield, but my power source is elsewhere. I don't know where your feet go, and I don't know where you'll leave after this. But maybe you will be in Louisville, maybe you'll be in Longmont, maybe you'll be in your home. I don't care where it is you are, but the Bible encourages us that when we put our faith in Jesus and we begin to follow him, that our feet are here on earth, but our power source is somewhere else. That's a good place to say amen. Because we have a power source outside of ourselves, and Jesus knew that he needed to be connected to more than just the people around him. His total dependency was in his Father in heaven. And scripture encourages us that we are ambassadors to this world. That when we begin to follow Jesus, not only do we lay down our lives, but we realize that we are not living at home, that there was a home elsewhere. But our mission here on earth is to live in a dependent way that is marked by humility and vulnerability. My question this morning for all of us is, have you been connected to your power source? Have you been connected to the creator of this world? The one who knows you in every fiber of your being. The one who loves you enough to die on a cross. The one who has decided to do everything in his power to empty himself out and become everything that you need him to be. Not just for you, because remember, we make crappy gods. And if we just start asking whatever we want to ask, that'll lead down a wrong path. The Bible tells us that when we delight ourselves in him, he gives us the desires of our heart. Because God can trust your desire once you have delighted in him. Delighted in him, a.k.a. connected to the power source. The story that we read today, and I'm very topical this morning, so all of you Bible nerds and exposition, expo expo expository preaching, listen, I hear you. Today I'm topical. We go back and forth. But we look at the children of Israel, and what I love about the story is that God gave them just enough for that day. He says, don't gather too much, because if you gather too much, then you'll start to hoard. And that's a problem. Because when we begin to hoard, we don't ever depend on Jesus. Maurice, what does depending on Jesus look like? What, what, what does that look like? Well, I want to read uh, one verse for you, John 15, and this is one that I want you to look through the lens of a child. John 15 says this, um, I, no, excuse me, remain in me. This is Jesus talking, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain to the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain 
in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does dependency look like? Remaining. Abiding, one version says, abiding in Jesus. What does total dependency look like when it comes to this scripture? We can read it as adults, but remember, to become mature in Christ, we must become childlike. So I want you to... Yell if I need to. Take this. Testing one, two. Oh, now I'm back, baby. Here we go. This is more of my steez anyway. This is where I grew up with, the mic. Here we go. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Listen, y'all play too much. Here we go. My point, what does it look like to have total dependency in our relationship with Jesus? I'm going to read the scripture one more time because I wanted to see through the lens of a child. Remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. I, he makes it very clear, am the vine. This is Jesus talking. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. Abide in me. I went to visit my brother in San Antonio, and he has two kids. One of them is two, and one of them is 10 months. Some of y'all parents, y'all know where this is going. It was chaos in that house. I don't have any kids right now, and I just went in that house. Like, and I'm just, here's the thing. I was just watching, watching my brother. Because it's really fun. I have a twin, if you didn't know. And it's really fun to just watch them in a different season of life. And most of my time that I was there, I was just watching him. Because I know who he, like, is when he's, like, by himself and who he was when he was just stinking and a weird teenager, right? And so now he's a grown adult, and he has kids, and I'm just watching him. And that dude is tired. Y'all know what it's like. He is tired. But I'm still sitting there because although he's tired, he can't just let that be his excuse. He, he can't let, you know, go into the room and give them uh, food for the week, diapers for the week, and say, listen, I'll be back. And I saw this story of the children of Israel, a little bit of like my, uh, my vacation to, to my brother and his wife. Because at every waking moment... It was his kid coming up to him, daddy diaper, daddy milk, daddy, daddy, I don't know what I want, just daddy. And just every waking moment pulling on him, pulling on him. And although my brother was tired, there wasn't a moment where he could just give his child all that he needed for the rest of the week. Every single day, that child had to come back. And it's this idea, as the band makes their way to the stage, it's this idea that as the children of Israel are going through this wilderness experience, we see that God is pressing upon them, come back. And the child knows, as I'm looking at my nephew, he knows that this is the place that I run to. This is the place of safety. This is the place that has shown me humility. This is the place that has shown me vulnerability. And no matter what my need is, I can keep coming back. 
And it's as if God is saying, I can give you all the food in the world that you need, and I can give you all the resources that you need, but in this wilderness experience, I'm only going to give you enough for today. Because my hope in the way that I have designed things is that you will be back tomorrow. And for those of you who identify yourself as Christians and followers of Jesus, how long have you been running on faith from yesterday? How long have you been depending on your relationship that you had four years ago? And when I first had met God and I was on fire for God and it was like he was talking to me every day and everything was so awesome. And all I wanted to do was just speak about the goodness of God. And then we begin to drift. But yet I see these words and I've been seeing God saying to be a community dependent totally on me. You must be a community that comes back and remains and abides day after day. As I was putting this together and I was doing tons and tons of research and I began to look more and more at other scriptures in Matthew 6, it begins to talk about, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of today, of, of itself. And God begins to say, I will clothe you today. I've been wrestling with this idea of what it means as it relates to strength for tomorrow. Maybe you've heard that prayer before. Lord, give me enough strength for tomorrow. I'm going to mess with your theology just a little bit. I don't know if God gives us strength for tomorrow. As I read this passage and I get real close to this topic of total dependency, I think God gives us strength for today. In hopes that you experience his goodness so much that you'll be back tomorrow. And there's some people under the sound of my voice right now. It's time for you to come back. It's time for you to be connected to your power source again. And for some of you in the room, it's probably for the very first time. I don't want to give you a false advertisement. It's for people who have put their trust and faith in Jesus who experience the total dependency life. A life that when we get to rest in God's arms, realizing that I'm not God and neither are the things around me. I'm tired of being God and I'm tired of trusting the things around me to be my God. It's time to come back. It's time to reconnect. It's time to remain and abide. One of the ways that I'm doing that these days is I'm starting off my mornings. And maybe mornings isn't your thing. I just want to give you an example. That I'm an extroverted Enneagram 7, always hyper, lots of chaos going on in my world, my inner world. My mind is always racing. And I said, you know what, God, I'm going to give you 10 minutes. Like I'm in control, right? You know what? I'm going to give you 10 minutes. And the way that I'm starting off my mornings these days is something that's very, very different, very, very countercultural to me. I don't sit in silence. You guys have heard this before. I don't sit in a ton of solitude either. And I say, God, I'm going to give you 10 minutes because 
as I'm beginning to open myself up to humility and vulnerability, I'm realizing that God just wants to be with me. The Bible says, remain in me as I remain in you. God's saying, I want you to abide in me because I just want to abide in you. And I sit in 10 minutes for silence. I sit in silence for 10 minutes because I realize that words don't always have to be said. That if I believe God is who he says he is, that I can just sit in his presence and it's enough. I don't have to rush to the result. I don't have to look for this word. Lord, give me this big word. Lord, if, you, this is, if it's really you, Lord, smack me across the face. Like we had, start asking all sorts of crazy prayers, right? I'm going to just sit in silence. I'm going to just start my day. I'm going to just start my time in silence. And let me just be honest with you. It gets weird. And the first five minutes, I'm just like, I'm more productive than I ever am. I'm just sitting down and I'm like, oh, I, got, I can do that. And I'm going to text this person. And I'm going to write this. And I'm just like, offloaded out of my brain, right? So for the first five minutes, it's like, I just need to get things out. But if I stay there long enough, it begins to have this moment of stillness. And then I'll just whisper, Lord, here I am. That's it. That's just my prayer this mor- these mornings. Because even I have moments of drifting. Not like I'm somebody, not like I'm on some pedestal, But I think sometimes people who get on stage and in church work and all these other things, you can view them in a different light. I'm just a regular guy who has regular struggles like anybody else and find myself drifting far from God where I just need to be connected and abide. Like a kid would. Like my brother's child when he just held him. My brother would just look at him like, you ain't crying for no reason. You crying for no reason. You ain't got nothing to cry about. You're not hungry, you're not sleepy, you just need somebody to hold you. And the more we become mature in Christ, the more we become childlike, where we can just abide in Jesus. And that's my prayer for you this morning. I don't know what abiding looks like for you in the practical sense. I'm starting with 10 minutes of silence. But I do know that whatever that looks like, if you stay there long enough, it becomes a sweet moment of just you and Jesus abiding in one another. And the way that you go about your day and the way that you see your finances and your marriage and your relationships is a little bit different. A little bit more peaceful and a little bit more relief. That you don't have to keep fighting, you don't have to keep striving, you don't have to keep being the one who knows it all. You don't have to be the center of your world. God actually says that's not for you. But if you empty yourself out, and just be a kid in my arms. Transformation happens. Maybe you don't hear a word. Maybe it doesn't get something where you get some end result and you're able to see it physically. But when you abide in him and he abides in you, the Bible says that fruit, you bear much fruit. And transformation begins to happen when we behold him as he beholds us. I want to pray a very short, simple prayer. And then we're going to sing a song. And this song is going to be King of Kings. Because Jesus, not only is just our king, but whatever you think is king, he's king of over that as well. 
Would you bow your heads with me as I pray? Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for moments. Thank you for stillness. Thank you for times of silence. My prayer on today, Lord, is that we would become childlike in our faith. Where we have total dependency, growing dependency in you. And maybe that has a wilderness Maybe that comes with vulnerability and humility. But God, if you are who you say you are, when we depend on you, you never fail. When we have total dependence on you, it may not be what we want it to be, but Lord, it's exactly what we need. When we have total dependence on you, we can be a child again knowing that you care for us so much that you've died for us. And my prayer is that every single one of us would take the risk of reconnecting to God our Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.